Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah. are about to be spoken here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy. We, of course, are broadcasting from the Blue Chew Studios. Try Blue Chew free. Just use promo code Hardy at checkout and pay $5 shipping. You get that sent right to you. It's the good stuff. I, of course, am John Alba, joined as always by the man of the hour, the man who has no problem breaking things, whether it's in a ring or in the bedroom. Who's to say? Mr. Matt Hardy, how are you, my friend? Excellent. Doing very, very good. I have my array of beverages, as you see. So uh, anytime I have my array of beverages, I am ready to rock and roll, man. This is a good gimmick. I like this. This is a, You got your gaggle yeah. of children, your array of beverages, your mower of lawns. I mean, that, that, that's Matt Hardy in a nutshell. He's looking for uh, unique ones to say things in a fresh way. Uh, we had a great episode last week. I really, Love really it. enjoyed it. Um, we had Christian Cage, your your frenemy, as you described him, yeah. on yeah. with us to watch WrestleMania 2000. Uh, what did he think of the experience watching it back with you? Uh, he enjoyed it. And he, he really is one of the, the greatest minds I've ever met in pro wrestling. Uh, you know, I, I know when he thought he was retired for the longest time, there were so many people. I know... John Moxley wanted him to come to AEW as a producer or as a coach, you know, as an agent to help put together matches and stuff. His mind is great. And that was something we always kind of had that very special bond where we were like uh, almost underappreciated members of our team. The secret sauces, as you uh, so eloquently put it. Uh, But, but, but uh, he's a, he's a great dude. And we've been just such great friends for 25 years now, quarter of a century. And uh, his wrestling mind is, uh, is unmatched. He has a very, very talented gift when it comes to wrestling and wrestling psychology his self-awareness is tremendous like when i said oh we got a big surprise he's like oh you never want to refer to me as a big surprise (laughs) like i just i thought i thought that was just tremendous and i really enjoyed our conversation too you made some headlines with your let it all play out stuff i knew you would so uh i'm I'm glad that we're leaning back into that we had a lot of fun last week talking about that and you guys did something a little different, the Hardy Boys. You wrestled on AW Dark Elevation, and even that got the internet talking, Matt Hardy, because you just can't seem to get the internet to stop talking. Uh, what'd you make of that experience? Uh, it was a blast. The match was really, really enjoyable, and it's so funny because it was kind of controversial to people. They said, "Oh my God, the Hardys are already getting demoted." Jeff Hardy, he was going to go into a program with Roman Reigns, and now he's been demoted to elevation. Buried. You know, he's been buried. And uh, it's it's just, it's so hilarious. Like, 
people just jump to conclusions so swiftly online, especially like in the internet wrestling community. If the IWC is still a thing, I know that was, you know, the name of the fan base when it first started, but, you know, just uh, wrestling Twitter and a wrestling online. It's just, you know, that they always, they'll take whatever scenario it is and they can paint it to be the greatest scenario of all time, or they can paint it to be the worst scenario of all time. And it's always so interesting to see which way they're going to push the narrative on it. And uh, the, the actual fact of the matter is here, here's what happened that day. So we get to TV on Wednesday and uh, they're, they're putting together the car, doing everything. And initially it was going to be a dynamite and a rampage on one night. And then they'd split it where the rampage was going to be live on Friday night. So tentatively for that rampage for weeks, there was talk of doing uh, myself and Jeff and top flight versus a, uh, a four man team of the AFO and draw these guys. And that was going to be a rampage. And then Tony said, well, you know, there's, I feel like we're just giving them a dynamite and I want to give them like all the stars that are here. I want to give them the best experience possible. He said, would you guys be okay just moving this rampage match? So they see the Hardys because the dynamite was packed and it was from, you know, from beginning to end, the card was loaded and there was like no time for anything. He said, we, we could put a pre-tape in there for you guys, but I want you guys to be in front of the live crowd. Would you guys be okay with doing a live elevation match? We'll take that rampage match that I talked about doing and we'll just kind of bump it to elevation. And that way the, the live crowd gets to see you and it'll be a, a huge uh, match for elevation. And hopefully that'll do a, a great number online or whatever. And we said, of course, Tony. I mean, that's why we're here. We're wrestlers. So we are more than happy to do that. And especially being early before all of Dynamite, we were excited to wrestle because we knew that was going to make it that much easier to have a great match because the crowd was going to be more into it because they're not burnt out yet. So the, the match was so much fun. And, and I know like Dante and Darius, they were having the time of their life, you know, teaming with the Hardy Boys. And then once again, anytime we were with the private party, those guys are so excited and so hyped. Uh, it was a great match. I loved it. I loved that we got to interact with them. And I thought it was a great seed to plant that, you know, the Hardys and Top Flight kind of have this friend relationship for down the road. I think there's some interesting stuff that can come out of that. And obviously down the road, we want to work with those guys in some sort of program or rivalry and, and do what we can to help continue to establish them and make them into, you know, a, a great tag team and a, and a known tag team. I interviewed both of them back in November before full year mm-hmm. and, each of them told me how in, independently I interviewed them separately. And they both mentioned to me, Darius and Dante, how much influence you and Jeff had on their careers and how they wanted to become pro wrestlers by watching two teams in particular the the young bucks. and the young bucks. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was pretty cool. And I know how much that meant to them to get to work with you guys in the ring. And that video went a little viral afterwards of, you guys uh, dancing with Dan Housen and, and the best friends, the big hug. You got the moves. You were busting them out. That was some good stuff there. Dan Housen, Dan Housen can juke like Jeff Hardy, man. <laughs> yeah, I am definitely not the dancer. That's why I leave, the, I leave the juke in. I leave the dancing to Jeff. I'm just, the, I'm the brains behind this operation. I'm the architect of the Hardy boys. Yes. But, but Dante and Darius, man, just great human beings, good dudes, couldn't be nicer. And incredibly talented. I know when we did that match, when Dante did that leapfrog, I heard Jeff audibly. You know, recently, whoa! <laughs> you know, his vertical is insane. And and like Jeff has, has seen those guys, but now that he's with AEW, he's really getting to see them. You know how impressive athletically they are in person. So he he was blown away by it, and it makes both of us uh, bereave our younger, healthy, athletic days when our ankles and knees weren't so beat up. You know, and we could jump, and we were more flexible. 
and what a story they are too right they just like sent their stuff to the young bucks by chance on the internet and they got discovered and dante if i'm not mistaken it's not like he was a gymnast or anything i think he was a swimmer and he's that kind of athlete just incredible i'm a freakish athlete you know especially his vertical is unreal and and the story of them sending this footage to the young bucks and 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 telling them the story sharing it with them and i'll never forget when they got brought in to be looked at by tony the young Bucks said man these guys there's really something there like they grew up and they they were big fans of 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 us they told us and they they said you and jeff and like i I really want these guys to be seen let's give them a shot let's give them an opportunity you know because that's what we did too and it's kind of the story of all of us you know we're all backyard or steward degree you know what i mean that's just how we started in our backyard loving wrestling being super passionate about it and unfortunately everything worked out for all of us and we all are on a big platform known as aw right now thankfully matt jackson did not go italian stallion on them and <laughs> try to try to thankfully take- he didn't go big money mad on them <laughs> we fee but yeah great stuff man um I, I i thought the segment afterwards with you guys dancing was I saw Jeff's face, I saw your face, and it's very apparent, even just from recording this podcast with you the past few weeks, especially since Jeff came back, you right. are really enjoying yourself right now. You're having a lot of fun out there. De- definitely so. And, and and Jeff is too. And it just, I, I feel better when Jeff is with me because, I mean, in many ways, I am his protector. I'm kind of, I'm kind of his conscience now i feel like more than anyone so i'm very happy to have him with me and he's doing great and he's loving it here and i feel like it's kind of uh restored his love and passion for pro wrestling which is which is great to see as well because jeff jeff is jeff is very artistic and that enigma term really works with him i mean jeff Jeff can get burnt out very easy if he isn't happy but if he's in a positive healthy scenario where he feels like he's being appreciated and being respected and he kind of gets to he he gets his input in he uh he is more passionate about pro wrestling than anybody else. And he, he's in that mode right now. So I'm, uh, I love to see it. And w- one other thing I was going to say too, as far as being on elevation, I said, Tony, of course we're pro wrestlers. We're here to do whatever. I said, dude, you're so good to us. And I know take, take good care of us. And he was putting, he, he always takes legends or veterans and he puts them in positions to succeed, whatever it may be. And then I said, on top of this, it, it helps elevation. I mean, like th- there was a time I remember where a few weeks a few months back, we were in Charlotte, and uh, it was a the Battle of the Belts they were taping, and the last match that they added was myself versus Adam Page as uh, captains of six man, uh, both uh, a six man team or a six man match, uh, three man teams, and we were going to select people or whatever. And I had some HFO people, and I want to say somebody wasn't there, and we ended up putting Serpentico in it. But like you know, myself and and Adam Page, we were happy to do that. You know, it was like the main event of a dark. I mean, it. Everybody on AEW uh, is willing and open to do that, and that's why AEW actually succeeds so much. I think because they have everybody that is kind of like on the same page to, uh, you know, do what is best for the company. And myself and Jeff, you know, we knew that being on that elevation is going to have people tune into that that show. It's going to, you know, help uh, elevation be a known event, a show. And then once again, whenever. AW ultimately gets their streaming service, you know, all that stuff can land there. So, you know, TK is very small. He's, he's getting content. He's getting content very quickly nowadays. And you don't, you don't want a show like dark or dark elevation to turn into what the latter days of like Sunday night heat were. Nobody cares in the slightest bit. You have to give them a reason to tune in, in some regard, because I mean, let's be real. Most of dark or dark elevation are enhancement matches. So every now and then, if you can give them, 
something to want to watch, then that helps everybody all the way around. Absolutely. I, I remember back in the day when we first started watching wrestling real big, like I would love it when superstars or challenge would have like a big main event. You know, it really felt huge. Like, oh my God, you know, Macho Man is going to be on against, you know, this other, you know, big star or whatever it was, you know, those, those are great. And that always motivated me to tune in when I knew those matches were going to be on. So yeah, I think it's great to put, uh, put big matches and, and sometimes use some, some really big guns, put star power out there and, and let it rock and roll because, you know, th those shows are also important because, you know, guys from the middle of the car down, they, they need to get wins and get victories to be like taken serious. And it's the great place. It's a great place for them to, to be able to do that. You know, especially if there's not time, you know, and they're not a big enough star where they can always make the, the TV shows, the dynamites or the rampages. So it, it's, it's a great place to try and build everyone up, you know, and Tony context that win loss record series. And I think, uh, it has paid off and I think it has succeeded as far as doing that because it, it has helped establish acts and it adds legitimacy to whoever, whoever the act is, you know, once they actually start winning matches as opposed to someone who just loses every time on TV, then, you know, the, the people do, they lose faith in them and they go, well, they're never going to win, you know, and I love it when, when upsets happen, you know, cause upsets happen in sports all the time. There's Cinderella stories. And I, I just think having that sports centric feel from a booking perspective is a very good thing. And I think that's one of the things that helps fuel the success of AEW. Well, there's one thing I do want to ask you about then before we wrap up our conversation about the current stuff, because it kind of relates to the let it all play out stuff and the sports center yep. presentation and all that. And, and that is how Dynamite ended last week. That was a big talk of the Internet uh, with Satnam Singh, who's a legit oh, yeah. former basketball star and, and big time prospect, seven plus footer, making his debut after Samoa Joe and Minoru Suzuki, which I can't believe that's a sentence that Samo Samoa Joe and Minoru Suzuki had a match for a ring of honor. TV championship is right. it's insanity. <laughs> but he makes his debut after the lights go out. And I don't think the ending connected in the way that a lot of Dynamite fans typically expect from AEW. And Tony would go on busted mm -hmm. the radio and he would say, hey, you know what? The lights probably shouldn't have gone out. And the fans are often right in situations like that. Uh, what did you make of that assessment and, and kind of pivoting on the fly there with the way of thinking? Yeah, I I totally understand why this guy debuted in the spot he did. We obviously have a big budding television deal coming up in India, and he's going to play into that. And I get the ramifications for debuting him and wanting to use him and highlight him. It's a, it, it's a big deal. Uh, the the use of like turning the lights out and then turning them back on. If you do that, it builds like an anticipation within the fans, and I feel like it has to be uh, like a a known star. It's got to be someone you know. Yeah. It's got to be someone when when the lights come on, they're like, oh, my God, it's him, you know, whatever. You know, Sabu was so famous for doing that in ECW all the time. But, like, whenever you turn off the lights and the lights are coming back, you know, th there's automatically an anticipation from the crowd. Like, oh, my God, who are we going to see? Who are we going to see? It's going to be a surprise. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. And it needs to be someone immediately whenever the crowd sees them, they know who it is. Like, oh, my God, this is great. Some more Joe's here or – you know, Jeff yeah. whoever it is, you know, so, so I, I, I feel like that was, you know, that, that, that was probably the, the, that was definitely the reason why they should have brought him out in a different way. I would suggest, you know, but it is what it is. We live and we learn. Yeah. We, we, we all make mistakes and, and Tony Khan, once again, three years in, you know, it, it is what it is. He He's trying his hardest and he's trying his best. And I love the fact that he, you know, was very accountable for it. And he owned it and he said, oh, well, we probably should have done it differently. So I was going to say, and, and it relates to that let it all play argument where it's like, 
if you build the goodwill with the fans where you recognize that, okay, something yes. doesn't work, people will then put your, and I know people are going to tweet at me, oh, you're just uh, shilling for AW. I'm, I'm not. I'm just, I'm being real here. It's when you build goodwill and you admit, hey, maybe we didn't hit the mark on that, then you move on and figure it out from there. So, hey, you guys don't tweet John. Tweet me. Say, I'm shilling for AW. Oh no! Because, last week when you took <laughs> accountability for something, people were saying you weren't taking accountability for it, but you were claiming to take accountability for it. So don't even bother trying to take it. <laughs> no, oh, I, I know, I love it. It's it's my uh, favorite. Um, it's my favorite fantasy land. Twitter. No, it's okay. Now they just tweet me about being a slut for caramel. That's like my thing now. So um, anyway, uh, check you out. Damn the- slut! <laughs> Slutting around on me with the wives of wrestling. Damn you, John. John, you ignorant slut. Anyway, um, uh, that that was a fun little digression that we just had there, Matt Hardy. And we have a very interesting episode this week on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. And I called it a fun episode at the end of last week's episode. I was like, oh, should I have? Well, there's certainly elements of it that are. And then there's some that are not so much. Mm-hmm. And we're going to turn the clock back because we're on the 19th anniversary of this happening. And that is you discovering the wanna and simultaneously jeff hardy being cut by wwe and i want to take a look into the psyche of everything that was going on in that locked room that is your head Hmm. and figure out how all this unfolded so with that said matt hardy hit us with that matt fact matt fact matt's current favorite condiment is spicy mayo Okay, so we're talking like like sushi, spicy mayo, like like that oh, kind of thing. Yes, dude, spicy mayo. I keep it around my house nonstop. I actually, the reason I wanted to do this mad fact is because I just told my wife, please make sure to get some. She's going to the grocery store today because we're out. <laughs> like no, one of one of my jams is like uh, white rice. I'll put tuna on top and like spicy mayo. If we have avocado, a little avocado on it, that's like my favorite lunch meal after mm-hmm. I work out at home. After right. I, I eat spicy mayo more than anything right now. Do you like eel sauce? I do. I do like eel sauce. I used to, I used to, I feel like I ate it a lot more, but spicy mayo has really become, become my jam recently. I, I make my own eel sauce. That's how much I love it so much. Oh yeah. Oh, it's so good. Spicy mayo yeah. is the jam too. I, I feel yeah, like I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, uh, of eel sauce and, you know, unagi. Okay. I, uh, I, I love some sushi, man. They're the best four words that any man could hear. I knew you'd come. <laughs> Are you looking to take your gimmick from broken to woken? Well, lucky for you, this episode of The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy is brought to you by Blue Chew. I know a lot of wrestling fans have plenty of bravado when it comes to sharing opinions on Twitter. But what about when it comes to stepping up to the plate in the bedroom? That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but it comes in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. Now, if you're like me and you're always on the road or you're at work at different hours every day, no problem. You can take them on a moment's notice. And then what do you know? Things are about to get extreme. And the process is incredibly easy. Sign up at bluechew.com and consult with one of their licensed medical providers. Once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And all of those confidence problems will soon become obsolete. The best part is 
It's all done online. You don't have to go to the doctor. You don't have to wait in line at the pharmacy. And you can spend your free time creating poetry in motion rather than having awkward conversations about your ladder breaking before you can get it set up. Blue Chew tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. House Hardy has grown in size quite a bit over the years. That's because I know the importance of taking the twist of fate into your own hands rather than letting yourself become a whisper in the wind. V1 of your sex life may not have been great, but V2 can be. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you have our promo code HARDY at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com promo code HARDY to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank you, Blue Chew, for sponsoring our podcast. All right, let's talk about this. So our story starts that 2002 WWE brand extension, what we would come to know as the draft. It's the first time that WWE ever did anything like a brand split at that point. Mm -hmm. And the Hardy Boys stay together while some other tag teams like the Deadly Boys are actually split up. What was the sentiment like in the locker room when all that was happening and the uncertainty that would follow from that? Uh, people were, were really unsure, you know, because they tried their best to, like, keep it underneath the tight lock and key. They didn't want people to know just so we can get stooged off. And they wanted to try and surprise people to get their legitimate reactions. You know, I think most guys would be trying to kind of, like, fill out writers during the day. Like, you know, so, like, what am I doing the next couple of weeks? Like, hey, do you have any idea? Can you give me, like, a hint or whatever? But they were very tight-lipped about all uh, about all of it, you know. So it, it became a scenario. Uh, it became a scenario. Whenever those brand splits would happen, people were always like worried about where they were going to end up. Like a lot of people were also worried up, like if they were dating someone there. Like, is, are, are myself and my significant other going to get you know split up, or is myself and my tag team partner going, going to get split up? And in some guys, I think the case of like Bub and Devon, I, I feel like they were at a point where they were ready to probably try their mm -hmm. hand singles where they they'd never really done that before i think they would just they were kind of like brought in and and bought as a uh, as a, a lifelong tag team in many ways but i, I think they both kind of wanted to venture out in the singles territory that time so they they may have actually had input in being split up at that point i have a hot take and it's that the reverend devon character is actually not as bad as people make it out to be i thought devon was actually very good in that role i mean it, he, he did uh, he did do good I mean, you know, you got a Batista out of that too. So he can Batista, uh, baby. I, I I thought he did really good. He he played the gimmick very well. Yeah, it was believable. The dude was he, he could preach. It was good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, but so were you concerned because at the time you've got a girlfriend on the roster and you've got your brother. So I have to imagine that has to hit you a little close to home. Uh, yeah, no, I know I was okay. And, and, and I feel like I knew we were staying there. I, I feel like we'd almost kind of been assured we were staying there together because Jeff, Jeff and I, we, they had tried a couple of times previously before, you know, to separate us and go ahead and get a single star. And, and we knew that was ultimately going to happen. And I think we were both cool with that, but we wanted to get as much as we could out of, you know, the Hardys together as long as we possibly could. So you were not ready to split just yet at that point. No, not yet. I, I feel like we still had other stuff left to do. I mean, there were so many guys that had just came in from WCW. Uh, there were tag teams that we hadn't worked with yet, and and we we wanted to get as much as we possibly could out of the Hardys before we went our own separate ways. 
Yeah, and I was going to bring it up. You just did already that there had been a couple attempts teased at you guys splitting up. Even just a couple months prior to this, we mm-hmm. talked about it briefly a few months ago. The right. Royal Rumble 02, like you guys were having a will they, won't they? There was some jealousy between you and Jeff over Lita. So it was like, okay, are they going to split up? But then they reeled back on that and they, they pulled it back. Why was it that every time they try to tease something, ultimately it was decided not to do it well the the very first time they teased it i mean they they wanted they they definitely wanted to split us and we actually ended up standing up for ourselves and we told them we weren't ready to do it and also some of the things in in the angle we just we we weren't comfortable with and and we told them and i remember they they punished us by taking us off tv for like six or seven weeks and we just still did live shows instead which tv are the big stress days you know and they're the long days too so actually it was kind of fun just being on the road doing our thing so it was all good. And that's where they, they put us back together on. They saw that we, we stood our ground and we were we, we definitely believed in, in what we were saying and we were going to hold our ground. So then they put us back together that Royal Rumble. And the Hardy Boys, as you said last week, they're they're over no matter how many times they lose. The Vince McMahon <laughs> can just keep diving into that and it's always going to work. Well, yeah, and it's, it's one of those things. It's It's a great thing because you can always be successful, but it's also a bad thing because they know like, uh, if we beat them, they're still going to stay over. People love these guys, you know, so they can, they can beat the shit out of us. And that was like, you know, that was one of the, one of the goods and the bads with uh, being the Hardys because we were just like, you know, we were eternally beloved, which is, is so great, you know, but they also, sometimes that was, uh, sometimes they would abuse us because of that as well. The next few things that we're going to talk about, there are a lot of events that happen that are pretty pivotal to both your career and Jeff's. And I Mm -hmm. promise everyone listening to this or watching this that you are going to hear us take deep dives on a lot of these things eventually. So if it seems like I'm just brushing past them, I promise you it's because we're going to dive deep at some point. We're not not glossing over these events. We're we're going to get them later. We've got a lot to cover today. Very much like this. You guys are Brock Lesnar's first major feud on the WWE main roster, Mm -hmm. which is crazy to think about. But it is you and Jeff, and eventually Paul Heyman kind of gets involved in all that. What was the experience like being handpicked as his first main roster feud? He debuts the night after WrestleMania 18, and it's the Hardy Boys ultimately within the next couple weeks that that emerge as his first feud. I feel like the reason we got picked for Brock was the exact same reason we got picked to work against the two man power trip after they, they first started. And it was, they, they knew we were like an act that was like, you know, beloved and the fans support us. They were always behind us and, and, and they would get with us. So they wanted to make sure Brock got over. And then on top of that too, they, they, I know specifically they, they would tell me that they trusted me. They knew that I wouldn't take advantage of someone who was new. So that that's the reason we worked with them to begin with, you know, the two man power trip, whenever Steve first turned on rock, it was they were having a hard time getting him booed uh, until that night in Boston, whenever he beat the shit out of all team extreme with chairs that night. And then that's that angle ended up getting extended where Jeff won the IC title after I came and I smashed, you know, triple H with a chair in the head. And then I got to work with stone cold. And we had, we had a, a few matches with those guys. And we, I think culminated with a, an eight man tag, uh, the Hardys and uh, the brothers of destruction were stone cold, Steve Austin, either edge and Christian or the Dudleys, but that got extended. And I felt like that was, that was a good test for us where they said we can trust these guys working with top level guys, you know, to, to not only have good matches, but also be very responsible and, and do the right thing. And also uh, the crowd is always behind them. So if we book them against Hills, you know, they're, they're the perfect guys to like get sympathy on 
and like let these hills really get over. So I, I feel like that's why we were chosen to work with Brock first. I would imagine Paul Heyman probably really enjoyed working with you guys. You're in your mid twenties at this point. You kind of fit right into his vibe. You're young. You guys are good looking. What would you make of your experience working with him? It was good. I mean, I, I always enjoyed working with Paul Heyman and, and the fun, the funniest thing is like, I just remember, I understand why Paul would get people so motivated, like an ECW to do these crazy things. Whatever. He, he's such a great motivator. He's so great at telling people what they, not only what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. Like he's good at getting in people's heads and like motivating them. He, he, he really is like an inspirational, motivational speaker when it comes to that in, in many, many ways. But I always loved his kind of thought. You know, he, he had he had these thoughts outside the, the box. He would he would color outside the lines and he would try things different and put a good, strong psychological spin on it. So I, I always enjoyed working with Paul Heyman. So you guys have that little feud with Brock. You guys ultimately don't come out on top. Brock is running all over WWE. And after that. But we got those chair shots that we no, for all the eternity. We're going to talk for an hour about those chair shots yeah. at some point because those are maybe And you'll have, have to talk to me because Brock doesn't remember them. There you go. Uh, uh, maybe the most vicious chair shots in WWE history. Um, they are up there. So one day we will dive into the psychology of beating the shit out of somebody with a steel chair. So oh boy. Um, hidden, hidden, you were baseball players, hidden home runs with the <laughs> steel chair. So after this all happens, Jeff, and we've talked about this in the past in those episodes mm -hmm. on like 2000, starting again to 2001. Jeff is really catching on with the fans. You are as well, obviously, yes. but Jeff, there's just something there, something yeah. with Jeff. Mm -hmm. And because of that, he's starting to get some singles opportunities on TV. Uh -huh. He's working intercontinental championship matches on tv and on house shows with eddie guerrero in the spring uh, some great matches there i'm sure and it's becoming pretty clear at least to me as the observer that there's some superstar potential here for jeff what Not was enough. the vibe that you were getting from others in the company on that front and is there any concern at that juncture of what that could mean for you I, I didn't. I had a lot of confidence in myself and I had stuff in my back pocket, you know, for whenever it was time for us to go our own separate ways. But no, it, it was very, very obvious, very noticeable that Jeff was getting over huge and he was really being put in a position to succeed as a singles wrestler as well. And I could tell people were behind him and support him. And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I, I've kind of got past this point of, you know, thinking I have to be on the same level as Jeff Hardy. I just have to be me. I, I was very accepting of that at this at this stage of the game and, and i definitely embrace that and i realized what his strengths were and what my strengths are and and jeff really is he it's the, the enigma about jeff just the 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 strangeness the weirdness he's just such a peculiar cat that i mean that that is why people love him though because i i feel like people who watch jeff through a television screen they go this is a dude who like doesn't give a fuck what anybody thinks of him you know he wears his hair crazy he cuts holes in hats you know and six pigtails out through them what he doesn't give a shit you know and i think there's so many people and society was starting to come around to this at, around this time like that were so uncomfortable in their own skins and comfortable in their own bodies and i feel like jeff was like a beacon of, of hope for those people and i feel like that's why he's so beloved you know and he really is strange he kind of 
marches to the beat of his own drum. And I think that is very beneficial for him as a pro wrestler. And it's also detrimental too, because sometimes he doesn't just take the straight and narrow approach. Sometimes he just thinks more emotionally as opposed to thinking mentally in different scenarios. And, and that, that's why I'm there for him. That's why I said earlier, like I'm his conscience a lot of the times, you know, sometimes he needs someone to like, just, you know, bring him back into reality because he lives like in, you know, this, when he says imagination, and that's the term he kind of created, he really does. Like he, he just kind of believes, you know, life is art. And, and this is, you know, one big painting. This is, you know, you know, one big, beautiful scenario where you just kind of do your own thing, but sometimes he has to be brought back down to brought back down to earth and, and reality. Jeff Hardy was that punk rock band that broke out into the mainstream. He, he was like Green Day, where Green Day was the anti-establishment and broke out into mainstream music culture. And everyone's like, I need that. That's right. what Jeff Hardy was at this time, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and people felt with that and they associated with that. So he is clearly connecting in a very special way. And keep in mind, Matt, he's like 24 years old at this point. Mm-hmm. So the, the sky really is the limit for him. Right. And what was the vibe you were getting from others in the company about him? I, I mean, they, they, they saw a ton of potential in him and they, they knew people were flocking to him and people were embracing him. And he, he was, man, he was over, you know, it, it, he was always too. I realized early on when we were teaming together, like Jeff's strengths are doing the whisper in the wind and doing the swanton and doing his big dives off ladders, whatever it may be. And he does it better than I do it. So I should always focus on him doing it. And I do things like wrestling better. I use psychology better. I have better strikes with, you know, my punches and whatnot. So, so I'll focus on doing that and we'll have you focus on doing what you're the best at. And I was cool with that because, you know, once again, I'm thinking of the greater good, but also him doing all those moves to help to get him over as well. He just seemed like a more exciting performer and Jeff really embodies what the Hardy boys concept is me not as much i am much more of like you know the matt hardy v1 or the big money matt or broken matt hardy and over the top you know character who who really takes things to extremes you know from a uh, a perspective i would say you know so that's the difference in our characters but i i know that jeff people were high on jeff and they really wanted to to see how far he could go as the singles got this time they, they i could feel that that's like in baseball, right? Like you need the table setters. You need the Ichiros, the guys that get sure. on base. They yeah. make for contact. And then you've got in the four hole, your, your power hitter. you got your Ken Griffey Juniors, you know. Mm-hmm. They're, they're there to be the flash. And that, yes. that I think is the dynamic that works super well with a great tag team, especially yeah. in your circumstance. I mean, J- JR said, I mean, you know, you said secret sauce, which is a great description. I love to, to utilize that as well. But, you know, JR would always say, you know, uh, Jeff Hardy is the sizzle and Matt Hardy is the steak. You know, that's how he would also, I mean, and people get it. If you know us, if you've been around, you're like, wow, these guys are much better together than separate. You know, it, it just, it just works. We, uh, JR and I taped the bonus show for ad free shows this past week. We watched backlash O2 two and it was Hogan versus triple H in the main event for the championship. And, uh, mm-hmm. he said, he said, you know, he always says, Oh, they're tougher than a $2 steak. And, um, <laughs> I said they may be tougher than a $2 steak, but both of these guys, Hulk Hogan and Triple H, uh, looked about as burnt as a $2 steak with the tans that they had coming out of that one, too. Oh, my goodness. That was, uh, you, you ever have a real bad tan, Matt Hardy? Was that ever something the Hardys cared about, getting that tan? Mm, I've never been a big, you know, a, a huge sun guy. I mean, there's been times where it's during the summer and I'm just out with my shirt off, usually running around where I have been, had a good natural tan, but 
Jeff and I are pretty much, uh, we're, we're kids of the, uh, you know, uh, tan in a can. You know, <laughs> we, we do the spray tans more than anything else. That's kind of our gig. I love that. Um, okay. So Jeff is getting more singles opportunities here. And he gets a pretty big one. On June 24th, he works a short match with The Undertaker. Mm -hmm. And eventually that sets up for a July 1st episode of Raw where he works a big main event match with Taker and it's a ladder match. It's the first ladder match in The Undertaker's historic career. Mm -hmm. To my knowledge, it might be the only ladder match in The Undertaker's career. And Manchester, New Hampshire is where that happened, if I'm not mistaken. And it's quite literally, in my opinion, at least, one of the most famous matches in Monday Night Raw history. Mm -hmm. Jim Ross with the iconic call, go make yourself famous, kid, to Jeff <laughs> yeah. Hardy. And Jeff Hardy almost beats The Undertaker. This feels like, and, and I promise you guys, I have this on the schedule for us, Matt and I, and hopefully with Jeff are going to do a watch along of this match later this year. Yeah. Um, because Matt has a lot of great stories about how this match came to be. But I have to imagine that this is like the litmus test for Jeff from management of can you hang in the main event? What do you remember about that? Uh, I, I remember that match pretty vividly uh, because two, Michael Hayes, was the uh, the main producer with it, but I helped with Michael with the match, and we talked ladder match spots. And I remember hearing from maybe it was Michael or Vince, uh, or, or or through Michael via from Vince originally. Like I, I know Taker was Taker was a little nervous about being in this ladder match, but he he did want to do it with Jeff, and he he wanted it to be great. Like, he he wanted this match to be like build to his legacy and like takers had a ladder match. that was like badass because taker taker was always very passionate about the things he would do, you know, in this ladder match, he didn't want to go in it and just have it be like, okay, well the, the little guy takes bumps off the ladders, but you know, taker didn't really do anything. It was important to him. He wanted to make this match great on his end too. And I know he was a little nervous about that, which is, which was cool. And I love the fact that he was so into to what Jeff was doing and like how he was such a great underdog and, and fighting from underneath. And he, he was, he was all in on this taker was the whole day. And I remember talking about different spots. We were kind of throwing things around. He was like, so open-minded about everything, which, you know, kudos to him for, for doing that and, and being like that. And I remember when this match happened, it, it really felt like a magical moment. You know, there's times where you're sitting back and you're watching a match. You're like, Oh, this is a really good match. People are enjoying it. But there's sometimes where you're sitting back and you're watching a match. Like, Oh my God, we're, we're witnessing history here because of these reactions and like, and what's happening and, and the, the dynamic and the synergy between the performers and the match and the crowd, like something very special is happening here. And that was one of those nights. How'd you feel after the match about your brother when you saw his performance? So, super proud of him. Super proud of him. I thought it was, I thought he killed it and it was great. And, and the way they did, it, it couldn't have been better. The way they did that at the end where Taker came back down and like held up his hand like he wouldn't quit, he wouldn't stay down, and that was kind of like the whole, you know, that was kind of the whole motif of the whole match. Is that you know, Je Jeff promised, like you know, you can knock me down as many times as possible. I will not stay down. I will not stay down. And that's literally all Jeff had to do to win in that scenario. You know, Taker winning the match was great for him because he went out and he had a great match and he won the deal. But then Jeff, all he had to do was you know live up to that creed of I will not stay down, and he kept getting back up. And then eventually Taker comes and he like endorses him. Like, you're right. You won't stay down. Like, you're, you're one tough, crazy son of a bitch. And I respect you for that. So both guys won on that night for sure. That It was a great example of a match 
where all parties won in it. It's Jeff's one, two, three kid moment, and he didn't even win. That's yeah, I'm, yeah, no, no. I mean, he 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 didn't, and I don't even know if I would describe it as that because you know, like it wasn't necessarily an, an upset. Jeff is a pretty established guy at this point. Sure. Sure. Triple H, whatever, but but it really was. It was like the match that like took him to another level, where I, it was like a match that like Jeff was elevated. Like, he could be a main eventer at this point. Yeah, that's that's how I look at it. Maybe maybe yeah. that wasn't the best analogy, but I just for me, it's like yeah. you're drawing the attention to Jeff. It's like okay, this guy is a player. He he's somebody sure. that yeah. can, yep. can do something here. So immediately, obviously, that gets over well backstage, and I, I can't wait to hear the stories about that because we will talk about it but uh, immediately he wins the european title the next week from william regal and then mm-hmm. a couple of weeks later he's facing rvd in a ladder match to unify that with the intercontinental championship mm-hmm. and then the week after that he wins the hardcore title in greensboro greensboro north carolina great stuff for jeff hardy right he's killing it all yep. the while matt hardy is pretty much just working on sunday night heat and working some tags on some house shows Mm-hmm. How did that feel? I I do remember I was so excited for Jeff after he had that match with Undertaker and and they he he proved himself and he also proved how the people were really getting behind him where he could like be a star on the on the the tippy top level you know and he could work with anybody in the company you know be looked at as like a main event guy and then I know I was I was working super hard it was the first time in my life I was young but I'd like actually dieted real hard too. And uh, I was training hard. I was I was healthy, and I was like in I was in great shape during that period because I was like, this is so cool. Like Jeff's getting his opportunity, and he's going to be a single, so I'm probably going to be a single as well. So I should get ready. And then I was having these matches, and and I love the matches. I, I'll go look at some of the. I look back at some of the matches during that period with great fondness that I had on Sunday Night Heat. I was I, I was having very good matches, but it was very frustrating. And I was like, you know, Vince, what do I have to do to get this opportunity? And I remember Vince told me, and looking back in hindsight now, I, I 100% understand this, and it does make sense. He said, well, I feel like your brother right now has, has been very hot since we had this Undertaker ladder match. And I don't want to push two Hardys, you know, like Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy as singles on Raw or have them in two different segments because it might be, become confusing to the audience. Because right now they're behind Jeff. I really want them to be behind Jeff. You know, so like – Right now, like if you just do this stuff on heat, you know, we'll figure out something with you. I promise you. He said, we're very high on you. You know, you're not going to be left behind. But right now we're building Jeff and we're going to focus on him. And, and I get that. Did but you it, believe Vince when he said that? Um, I wasn't sure. You know, I, I mean, you don't know. I mean, he, he, he'd always been pretty straightforward with us up to this point. And, and I wasn't sure. But I feel like the longer it went on that Jeff was going to get pushes and I didn't get a chance to, like, do my stuff. You know, I, I probably persisted with him harder. Like, no, I want an opportunity. I want an opportunity. I want an opportunity. I promise you, I will not let you down. And then he told me, he said, I, we'll, we'll do something. And and I said, dude, I'll do whatever. I said, like, if you want me to turn on Jeff, you know, so I become a heel. Or if you want to, like, just start, we can call me maybe Matthew. I said, and we can drop the Hardy name where we have, like, a, we have something different. So it's not confusing. It's like two Hardys. Uh, I said, or, you know, if, if you want to end up sending me to SmackDown, whatever. I said, I'm just, I'm ready to rock and roll. I said, give me that opportunity. I promise you I'll make the most of it. And then, uh, you know, a- as we all know, he ended up keeping his word and I eventually did get that opportunity down the road. So you're, uh, but I want to backtrack a little bit just before yeah. we get into that. So you're on heat. You're working with Steven Richards, Raven. Big just incredible. Show, just incredible. Right. 
And you said you're proud of those matches. They're good little matches that you're having. But, <laughs> I love you saying it so kind of. You said they're good little matches you're that's, having. <laughs> that's a running gag, actually. That that's a running gag. I'll, oh, I'll yeah. Explain, I'll explain that off camera to you. No, um, no, I, I, I get it though. It, it's used in the business a lot too. A, a mutual friend of yours and mine. That is a running gag I have with them. But, um, so you're having these good matches, and you're not positioned on main television. It's just Sunday night heat. I, I'm going to use this analogy just because it's something that is used all the time by wrestling fans yeah. and you can shit all over it if you want, or you can tell me if there's credibility to it. Are you worried about becoming the Janetti of the Hardy boys? No, not at all. Not at all. What do you think of I, that term? I, yeah, I mean, bless. I mean, it, I don't know. It's so funny. People go to that so quick. They would go to that with like me or Christian or Devon, whatever, you know, but like, I mean, there's no comparison, <laughs> you know, it's just no comparison in, in the big scheme of things, you know, and, and, and I get it. That, that was the first case of where you had a tag team that people liked. They were big, you know, over big as baby faces and they split up. And then you had one guy that extremely succeeded. And then the other guy just did a little bit, but then kind of like, you know, powder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and that hadn't been the case with with any of us. You know, the people and people love to throw those terms, like especially people that are just negative or people that don't necessarily like you or whatever. That's one of the first things that they'll go to. But like even, you know, there there were years where Jeff was away. It's so funny. And, and, and I don't even think of wrestling as much in terms of how successful your character is or like what what is your how many trophies or titles you've won. Like I think of it now, like a business, uh, you know, it's all about the the money you'll make. And, and it's like, it's funny as popular as Jeff's been. Yeah. It's, it's a business at the end of the day, you know, you, you can't forget that it's entertainment and we love it. We're very passionate about it, you know, but there's been years that Jeff didn't work where I still had like these, these, these big salaries and big years. So I am very proud of what I've done as a business person in this business. And I almost think of it in that capacity before anything else, because that's how you should think about it. You know, when pe people get too wrapped up in how over they are or winning a championship or this is so real, I have to have this. That's sometimes that's dangerous territory where you can kind of get lost in yourself. You have to remember at the end of the day that this is a business and you can only do it for a fine, uh, a fine, finite amount of time. So you have to make as much money as you possibly can. So especially when you would reach out and call me. Marty Jannetty, uh, in terms of, of that, it's like, you know, I've, I've made more money than Jeff has in the big scheme of things, you know, just because my run has been so consistent, even though he has always been historically popular and always will. I'll leave it at that because that's just that's how it is. Jeff Hardy is beloved. So, you know, if, if people come away with that, I mean, that's fine. Whatever they want to do. It's, it's a very, very silly reference. And uh, it, it, it doesn't work. There's there's no logic or psychology behind it, really, in the big scheme of things. For the record, I am not calling you the Genetti. I'm just saying. No, I mean, that's a common thing. I mean, yeah, I've, yeah. I've seen that a lot. Um, Self-promotion plug here. Uh, putting Talking about your business awareness. Uh, I did a one-on-one -on -one for my show on ad-free shows with Billy Corgan this right. week. The head of NWA. And we spoke oh. for like 15 minutes. Uh, just Bill, about Bill, Billy's great, man. Yeah. yeah. And, and he put you over big as uh, being very aware of the business and your self-awareness and always looking out. So anyone wants to go check that out at freeshows.com. It's a good conversation. I'll, I'll send you the snippet where he's talking about. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I think you'll enjoy that. Um, yeah, I, I, man, I, I really enjoyed working with Billy and I, Billy, once again, a very artistic character, 
like Jeff, right? You know, just kind of thinks out of the box, kind of paints a different picture than than most people normally would. And I, I really enjoyed my time with him. And he was all on board with some of the wild, broken, mad ideas that I'd had. So I, I had a great time working with Billy. He said there was an alternate ending to the final deletion, which I'll let you listen to. And then next week we can talk about it because I'm great. Curious yeah. if, if great. it was Matt Fact or Matt Fiction, we can talk about that. So outstanding. Uh, that, that should be some good stuff there. So you've pitched all this stuff to Vince at this point. You know that Jeff is getting hot. Vince is aware that Jeff is getting hot. Are guys tepid to go up to Vince and pitch stuff like this? Because you clearly were willing to put yourself out there on the line and and make yourself maybe even a little vulnerable in order to try to position yourself in the best place possible. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that's something that Vince has always said. Uh, and I remember one time he told, he, he told me this personally, he said, uh, sometimes in, in, in life, especially in pro wrestling is it mirrors life. He said, we have to do things that we're uncomfortable doing. He said, that's the only way you grow as a person and as a character. And, and he, he really is right. Like there's sometimes where Vince would have guys do things they never wanted to do, or they hated doing. And I feel like to him, that was just like a personal test of them. Like, are they willing to do it? Are they willing to grow and expand? And, and there, there is some truth to that. I mean, you, you have to be willing to venture to new frontiers to, to grow as a person and evolve and become greater. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. By now, you know that everything is crazy overseas and well, that's created some volatility in the market. We actually saw rates tick down a little bit this week. We don't know how long it'll stay that way. All the experts are predicting that there is going to be a rate hike this month in the month of March. Some are saying 25 basis points. Others are saying 50. What does that mean? It means waiting will cost you money. And by the way, I want to mention this is still a once in a lifetime opportunity just based on your real estate values. You see all of a sudden your house is worth considerably more than it was just a couple of years ago. And as a result, you can use that newfound equity to change your your life. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners take their 30 year loan and pay it off in half the time. And how can they afford to do that without their payments going sky high? We get rid of all their other debt. And I mean it as a heads up. What would you do if you had no credit card debt? Just like that, it was all paid off. How much easier would life be if those car payments they're out of here. No more car payments. That is the story that we're able to help our friends and family with at SaveWithConrad.com. You see, the interest you pay on your credit cards not tax deductible and sky high. The interest you pay on your car loans, buddy, where is that going? What if we could restructure all of your debt, use some of this newfound equity, and at the same time, get you out of debt faster? You see, what we're talking about is reducing the time on your mortgage. Yes, we're going to get you a great rate, but if you're in a 30-year loan, think about what your life looks like 30 years from now. Man, life gets a lot easier when you're completely debt-free, and that's what we want to help you do. And by the way, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And oh, as a heads up, if you've been thinking, hey man, I like my house, but my kitchen's kind of outdated. What if we could get you the cash you need to turn your average kitchen 
into something your wife loves and it wouldn't change your monthly payment at all. Why wouldn't you do that? You see, you'd be reinvesting back in your own property. That's going to make your house worth even more. And oh yeah, you can do it with cheaper monthly payments at SaveWithConrad.com. Now I know it sounds too good to be true, but I want you to go check out our reviews for yourself. See what some of our new family members are saying at conradreviews.com. You'll see there we've got over a thousand verified reviews. Our average rating is 4.72. And if we were a restaurant with a thousand reviews and a 4.72 rating, I know where you're eating dinner and I know where you need to do your next loan. It's savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? That's savewithconrad.com. So on August 5th, 2002, you guys challenged Lance Storm and Christian for the tag titles and lose via DQ. I just want to say as an aside, I loved Lance Storm and Christian together as a team. Were, were they were they the un, un-Americans? The un-Americans, yep. Yeah. I, thought, I thought they were a great package together. Yeah. And then Tess was fun with that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I bring that date up. It seems rather innocuous, but this is the last time you guys would challenge for the WWE Tag Team Gold for four years. And uh, pretty crazy. And it's the last time you would team together for four years in WWE as well, because the Mm. next week, Jeff is facing Rob Van Dam in a number one contenders match for the Intercontinental Championship. Right. And here we go. You hit the twist of fate on Jeff like an RKO out of nowhere. And Matt Hardy has turned heel. And you are on your way to SmackDown. This had to happen. There was a, a pre-tape earlier in that show. I remember Bischoff, you know, he he was there and around, and we were just kind of getting familiar with him a little bit. There was a pre-tape where he was going to reward Jeff or something. And he almost kind of it, it was it was written in, in the way they had structured this pre-tape, where he was supposed to say like a line uh to me to kind of like bury me, like, oh well, no, your brother's getting the opportunity because of whatever, whatever, whatever. Because like we knew what was happening, obviously. And it was almost supposed to be like, I feel like incentive for me to like turn on Jeff because now I'm like jealous he's got all these opportunities that's you know that's where we're going with everything he gets all these opportunities i don't and i remember uh popping eric and there was a a little pre-tape where this may have been the only time i've said it he said that's right because he's like familiarizing himself with the roster he said yeah that's uh, you're matt right i said yes matt with two t's i remember the first time i did that it it popped him and then like that was one of my favorite little parts and i have such a vivid memory of that particular pre-tape maybe it's because i was turning on jeff that day and like later on down the road, as we'll get into later, it's so funny because that was almost turned around where Bischoff said that I'm the hardy that he 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 did make the wrong decision. I'm the hardy everyone's talking about now. You know, when when uh, Jeff ended up going through his his uh, period there. And swarmy Eric Bischoff. Can you he had the audacity to say that he had a better head of hair than me? And I was unbelievable. I got a big fight with him about that. So <laughs> just what Oh, um, you hair guys. All we care about. I mean, you got to main yourself. So, um, so this yeah. is a big night. This is a big night because we've teased, we've teased, we've teased. The Hardys are they they cannot coexist. The Hardys can't coexist. But then you end up being able to get back together. Not anymore. You turn on Jeff Hardy on the biggest stage of them all. What was it? A bittersweet night for you? Uh, no. I, I think everyone was happy. I mean, I'd been trying to, to get this. I'd want to go in this direction for the longest time. And, and Jeff was going to be good as far as the way he was positioned and, you know, what people saw for his future. He was going to be fine as far as, you know, what he's going to be doing on his own as long as he kept himself in check. And then uh, I was just very much excited for the opportunity to to branch out and do something new. 
Yeah, that was. And, and, and I was also excited for the opportunity to 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 lean into what was more truly me, which was not being the adrenaline junkie, daredevil, Hardy Boys, Team Extreme guy, because that that is Jeff at his core, not really me. So I was excited to 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 be myself and play more of a character that that fit with me better. You want to be a no good carnic piece of shit asshole son of a bitch. That's what you want. Yes, exactly. So. <laughs> Well, the crowd in Seattle goes nuts for it. They do not see the turn coming, and and you hit him, and RVD wins as a result. And big moment there. Matt. And you are off to SmackDown, except for the fact that, of course, for two consecutive house shows after you and Jeff team uh, once more, just a, one final ride off for the Hardy Boys, even though you turned on him on TV. How the hell does something like that happen? I, I, I don't know. That's so, that's so funny. Like what, what did, did you read the results of that match? Should I like leave him uh, in the manager? I, I, I can find you the results here momentarily. Wow. Let's see. It, so, uh, yeah, I, that, that is very wild booking. Like I, I didn't have any recollection of that whenever you told me that. Uh, so so I, I do find it strange, but I feel like they had to do some sort of gimmicky finish that plays off on of TV. So the Hardy boys, so again, you turn August 12th, and it's not a pre-taped show. It's a live Raw. Right. And then on August 17th and 18th, you guys team against Just Incredible and Raven, and uh, you, you win clean both times. The Hardy Boys <laughs> both times. So. We're back to a cohesive unit. I'm so sorry, Jeff. I shouldn't have turned on you. <laughs> it, it was contractually, oh, we got to coexist for two more matches, and then yeah. I'm out of here. I'm gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so... That's a that's a big moment there, Matt. And uh, you are now off to SmackDown, August twenty second. I just gotta say too, John. I guess that shows the importance of WWE house shows. They're very important to following television and whatnot. I, for one, am a fan of just letting it all play out and seeing how it unfolds. So yeah. that's what I told people in front. They said, "But you turn to him." I said, "Guys, let it play out. Okay, just let it play out. It's all gonna make sense at the end of the day. At the end of the." story at the, the end, end of the, of the weekend <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> it's all gonna make sense at the end of next week's smackdown after i show it <laughs> let it play out amazing i love that so much so august 22nd you're in fayetteville north carolina yeah first time on smackdown first time solo act big entrance crowds going mm -hmm. nuts and you lose to chavo guerrero <laughs> Yeah. Let's establish Matt Hardy nice and big here. Yeah, and I, that was uh that was done specifically and and I'm okay with that. I, I think mm -hmm. it was good, especially for the direction I was going as far as being a hill. And I in Fedville, obviously, that is the closest major arena to the Hardy compound, by the way. So that's kind of like our our hometown. Uh that's where we won the world tag team titles the very first time. Uh so we were there that day, and I remember I got a lot of FaceTime with Vince. I got to talk to him a lot. And uh, I pitched the whole thing at the end. You know, they were talking about doing it and having the, uh, the, you know, the Kane's power go off. And it's like a distraction or, or whatever. And then, like, I remember pitching the whole thing. I said, can I get in close with the referee? And, like, let me magnify this loss, like, times 100. You know, and I'll get in there with the referee. I'll say, I can't believe you did this to me in my hometown. This is a bigger screw job than, than, than Bret Hart in Montreal. You know, like, putting them on the same level, except this was way bigger. You know, and, and that was the first step in me trying to uh, coin and, and kind of flush out the Matt Hardy version one character, you know, because I wanted to make him larger in life. Like everything's over the top. If, if, if I do something, it is bigger than anything else anybody has ever done. 
and like you screwed me in my hometown. Like this is a travesty. I mean, this is like, you know, this, this could, this could end the world. It's that big of a deal. And, and my, my, the word I kept using to describe Matt Hardy version one events, I said, this guy's delusional, right? He's like, he's the biggest star. Like if it wasn't for him, his brother wouldn't even be doing his thing. You know, that's kind of his mindset. And like, everything is the greatest. Like people want to know every aspect of this guy. And if I lose in my hometown, I have to act like it's the, the, the biggest deal ever, the biggest screw job that's ever happened in the history of sports. Okay. And, and it, was, it was so cool because Vince rolled with that too. And he, he was very happy and he loved it after we did it. So when you pitch this, because you are not presented as Matt Hardy version one in this match, you are just Matt no. Hardy. You're coming out to the Hardy yeah. Boy music, but you know, in your mind where you're, where you want to go with this character. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. When do you remember coming up with the idea for what version one would look like? Uh, it, it was kind of a work in progress because like they, they, told me like okay we're gonna do this we're gonna put you on smackdown and and i feel like i i thought i was maybe even gonna have like a week or so off but it ended up being fedville and then i, I was booked for it and then we're gonna start there so i may i may not have been totally totally prepared or i hadn't got the outfits you know uh like the pants that i ended up wearing as matt hardy version one and and my mentality like after being in japan a couple of times from then i actually loved the japanese culture and and i wanted something that looked very japanese that's kind of that was the inspiration for my first gear in pants uh, and I tried to continue to build on that as like Matt Hardy version one. And once again, I wanted a different look from how Team Extreme or the Hardy Boys looked. And then once again, this character was going to be over the top and like delusional. Like nobody is more into him, you know, into him, into themselves than Matt Hardy version one. The version one name, does it come directly from the pitch stable that we've talked about multiple times on this podcast? Yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, like after they decided not to go with it then, I, I decided to just kind of put it in my back pocket and hold on to it until I did become a singles wrestler. What is the idea behind version one? What does version one mean? Exactly. That you are seeing the true version of Matt Hardy, the original uncut version. You're not seeing some half-ass Matt Hardy, Hardy boys, team extreme guy that like does these stunts and, you know, is out there to appease the fans. You're seeing the true version one of Matthew Moore Hardy. And that's what version one of, of Matt Hardy came to mean. So it takes a couple weeks, but now we're really starting to figure out who Matt Hardy version one is. Yeah. September 12th, 2002. Ironically, it's The Undertaker. <laughs> He's backstage being interviewed about his wife, Sarah, being pregnant. And you approach him and you congratulate him. And you're, you seem like pretty genuine at first. <laughs> and this is this if you haven't gone back go on your peacock find this promo on the smackdown from september 12 2002 and you say that you can't wait to have your own son one day matt hardy version two uh where that was there any consideration of naming maxwell matt hardy version two matt <laughs> uh I, no we, we just decided to go with maxwell i had to let the i had to let the version two Name go, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe later down the road, maybe okay. I'll get a version too. There still could be more to the gaggle of children. Be, yes, yes. Uh, we'll see. You say that your son is going to have your attributes. You want to congratulate Sarah in person and he face palms you and you face him in a match. Mm -hmm. And this is the debut of live for the moment, which Matt Hardy, <laughs> Matt Hardy theme. It's one of my favorite WWE themes from that era period. Uh, mm -hmm. Before we get into the match itself, let's talk about that presentation. Let's talk about first attributes. You're talking about Mattitude. Where is right. all of this coming from? I love doing character studies with you. Where is all that coming from? 
Once again, uh, looking to go in a totally different direction than the Hardy Boys or Team Extreme went in, uh, looking for a guy that is, is so egotistical. Instead of just saying attitude, he would put his name and tie it to it. Mattitude, attributes. That, that was like how egotistical, egotistical, how over the top do we make this guy? And that's where those terms started. I, I wish there would have been like 10 more that would have flowed smoothly that we didn't have to like add to it. I know a few times I used uh, mathematics. Uh, you know, which wasn't quite as smooth, but like anything could start with Matt and it was that much greater. Uh, you know, like you have a good attitude. Well, have a mattitude and it will be that much better. And I also remember when I started doing I'm a big hand signs guy as mm -hmm. well. Too. And whenever I started doing the B1, I remember I would go up to some guys and I would like, oh, I'm B1. I would put it in their face and then push them off kind of the pie face and whatever. And and I, I loved when Brian Pillman that came from Brian Pillman doing the four horsemen. He would put it in people's face when he was kind of doing the loose cannon gig, which I, I love that. And that was very inspirational to me. That is where the V1 in people's face started from initially. Uh, I also remember saying, you know, V1 uh, Mattitude. And there was one point where Stephanie said, I really think you should stop doing that. Like, it's really not going to work. I don't think it's going to get over. It's like, you know, I, I don't know. And I said, it is. I, I, I can see people in crowds, especially on live events, which is always a great litmus test for what you're doing. I said, people are starting, you know, to do this, do this V1. And even if it's getting cheered, like, you're still doing shitty stuff. And I almost feel like the kind of hill I was at that point, maybe I feel like there was a little thought from some of the older school guys that it was too entertaining. There were not any other heels like that in WWE at the time. Yeah. But because I was, I was like saying a lot of funny, entertaining stuff as well. And, and I feel like it's almost like what heels have to be today because you can still be like entertaining. You don't want to totally bore the audience. You know, but still you have to do dickhead things. You have to do, you know, just just bad shit to people or, or you know, whatever. You still have to be a heel and do things that really make the people genuinely dislike you. But also, I do feel like you do need some kind of entertainment in it. And I know there were a, a couple of people that maybe had a mindset that I was like a little too entertaining as Matt Hardy version one. But but my mindset, too, is like I'm going to be a heel. I'll get booed in these these big events. But but I still have to stay entertaining to the crowd. So that that was my goal in that as well. Anytime that you in actuality have self-awareness, but your character lacks self-awareness, that makes yeah. the best heel, in my opinion. A hundred percent. You as a performer have tremendous self-awareness, yeah. but the character really does not realize how much of a piece of shit he is. <laughs> right. He genuinely thinks he's serving the greater good. And he, he, he delusional. I mean, I really tried to I really tried to be delusional is how I would describe, you know. Uh, the first ever run of Matt Hardy version one. What do you think of live for the moment as a theme monster magnet? It's a hell of a theme. It rules. It's, it's a banger, man. That, that's a, I mean, funny. Whenever we first heard that initially that was done on like a, one of the forcible entry mm -hmm. uh, records or CDs that mm -hmm. come released. And it was done specifically. A great game. Huh? Very PC forcible entry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very, <laughs> very PC. Um, it was done for myself and Jeff, and it was originally going to take the place of the old Hardy Boys music. Wow! Oh, so it was going to replace Loaded. Yeah, there that that was why it was initially created, if 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 memory serves me correct, and I'm pretty sure it does. So it was there, and I remember they played it for us. Kevin Dunn did, I think, and then uh, I know Jeff like wasn't crazy about it at first, and we're like, oh, okay, well let's we'll, we'll figure it out maybe later down the road. And then I remember they said, hey, we have that music we're going to do for the Hardy Boys. You know, how about we use that for your entrance? 
And I said, sure, let's do it. I said, yeah, because I, I definitely need some different music because, you know, I, I wanted to have something besides the Hardy Boys music because that always elicits a babyface pop right from the jump whenever you hear that music. So we played Live for the Moment. And, and at first, I kind of I had mixed feelings. I was like, ah, I don't know. I mean, but whatever. I guess I'll get used to it. I'll make it work. But then later, I fell in love with it. You know, it took it took three or four times. Like, I, I, I know me personally. Like, if I hear a song the first time and I really like it, I'm like gonna I'm gonna love it forever. But if I hear a song and I kind of like it mixed on it, I always give it like you know three, four, or five more times before I really make a decision or before the verdict is out on it. And that's how live for the moment was. Like at first I was very unsure of it, but like now looking back in hindsight, I couldn't imagine having anything different as you know the sensei of Mattitude, Matt Hardy version one. And the lyrics are per I can slap a tornado, I can dry yeah. up a sea. Like that's that's yeah. perfect for this V1 character. Per to totally, uh, totally over oh. the top, you know, just totally outrageous content. Yeah. So anyway, so you have that match against The Undertaker, and on the screen pops Paul Heyman and he's confronting Sarah. So mm -hmm. he's beating you down, but he doesn't give a shit anymore. He goes to leave to the back to go protect Sarah, and Matt Hardy defeats the Undertaker. Via count out, Jeff Hardy couldn't get the job done. But damn it, Matt Hardy could. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jeff, Jeff couldn't beat Undertaker, but I could, and and that was the perfect fuel for this delusional character too. Like, and and that led to the first Matt fact, as I know we're about to discuss. Yes. Uh, and you would also defeat him again October third under some similar tomfoolery. So you get some big stuff there. Uh, by the way, Matt Hardy v one. I mean. I mentioned a few weeks ago you're a two-time winner of the Best Gimmick Award in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. It, it picks it up for that year as well. So cool Very stuff cool. there. What What is the reaction backstage from the boys as you're rolling out V1? Uh, people dug it. They enjoyed it. And and I, I think people were so – it was refreshing to see me move on from myself and Jeff and our success and, and being a set tag team guy and really thriving – on your own, especially in something so different. And I feel like it was, it was a good, uh, a good validation of how, you know, how, how multi-talented I was. I, I wasn't just a guy who could jump off the ropes or do leg drops or hoe or, you know, act emo or goth, you know, that I could do different things. It showed that I, I was a, a layered performer. Did I, I want to back up just for yeah. a second because Vince was, was super, <laughs> Uh, I just saw uh, Dominic hit me. He said, "Dickhead things <laughs> should be a T." Yeah, um, uh, a good heel. A good heel does dickhead things. By the way, so Vince was very high on what I was doing there, and and I had a great relationship with him at that time. It, it almost reminds me of when myself and MVP had our run on SmackDown. Like Vince, Vince's door was always open to us because we were like the hottest thing on the show, and he loved us. And I, it was a little bit of the same deal on SmackDown. And I love the fact, and I was very grateful that Vince inserted me into the this the top feud on SmackDown, which was Brock and The Undertaker. And it's almost like Brock and Paul Heyman were using me as an underling, you know, taking advantage of me where I didn't realize it because I just I realized I was a, a big deal. You know, like Matt Hardy version one, Brock, Undertaker, the three big stars on SmackDown. So, so this is a fun <laughs> game to play along with. But, but, but Vince understood. I was very aware of everything I was doing. And I remember as we were doing that that day, it was in somewhere in Louisiana. I, I remember. But we fought to the back, and there was a deal where I climbed up on a cage to get away from Undertaker. Brock comes out. He ends up F5-ing him. And I feel like they were going to do it on the floor, and then Vince was worried. And they he, they did it on the popcorn bags, if you remember that. It was kind of – it was very weird, strange. You know, and that's what I ended up pinning Undertaker after. But I remember we were talking about the match, and it was me, 
Taker and Brock and, and Vince. And we were kind of walking through there and looking what we had to work with, whatever. And I'll never forget where Taker said, well, you know, what if we did this thing comes up and Brock fights me and he does this and miss. But then we end up fighting out of the building. He said, maybe, you know, he just drops me out there somewhere. He said, that's fine. He said he can drop you wherever he said. But at the end of this match, Matt Hardy has to get a pin on you. And he was very adamant about that. And it's not Taker didn't say like he wasn't going to do it or whatever, but he threw an idea. But I know Vince, it was very cool to, to, to see VKM going hard for me there. He said, you know, I don't care how we do it, but, but at the end of this match, Matt Hardy has to be on top of you and, and get a pinfall on you. It was a false count anywhere match at the yeah. Cajun Dome in Lafayette. There you go. And you guys went about five minutes on TV time. I'm sure it went a little longer because it was a pre-tape show. So I'm sure in the live crowd it was probably a little longer than that. But yeah, that's uh that's some cool stuff there. That's a great anecdote. Um I, I love too. There was one time where we were fighting through the crowd and I took a drink and threw it on Undertaker's face and almost took a step forward like he's gonna sell and he just walked into that I ran off. That's a, a little vivid memory I, I, I love about that match. It's those little Matt Hardy things, though, we talked about in the final deletion, right? Just those small little details that you kind of... Yeah, yeah. The devil's in the details, for sure. Well, so you beat him twice. And on October 17th, the world is changed forever, Matt Hardy. Right. Because in your entrance, for the first time ever, we get a mad fact. Da -da -da -da. Mad fact. Um... Man, I, I got I gotta be honest about this too. Like I remembered talking about having some sort of entrance that kind of related to the internet. I remember pitching that idea, and they put together this template of what was going on. And I remember they had that great look where I'm so smug, which I always try and like redo that expression whenever I do. You know, the my heart, like kind of the half smile and the. We got you gift on it last week. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> a little half smile, a little sarcastic, shit eating grin. And uh, they, I remember they had that little image and they did the box, like a little Windows media player, old school thing. I said, oh my God, this is great. And then Kevin Dunn is the one who said, we can put like a little factoid up here about Matt. So I, I, I have to give Kevin Dunn credit for that. That was his idea initially. And then uh, they they said, you know, just give us a few Matt facts and we'll, we'll pick a couple. So every week at TV, I would submit like four or five different Matt facts and they would pop two of them up on the screen during the entrance. And, and I, I love that. Just looking back in hindsight, I'm so glad that I was able to get, uh, get that entrance and be able to call those things Matt facts. Do you remember what the first Matt fact was? Uh, Matt Hardy has beaten Undertaker twice. That Matt was Hardy, the, uh, it was Matt has beaten Undertaker two straight times. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. That, that's, that's the exact, exact, that's exact word. Exact word. Yes. Yeah. Uh, history is, I mean, that's going in the Hall of Fame, Matt. So you got to make sure. Matt has beaten The Undertaker two straight times. Is that why was, was internet culture so important to you? Because it's so fitting for your career, right? Like you were always at the forefront of the internet age yeah. and learning social media. So why was that something that you wanted to lean into? I, I mean, you could just see the world's going in that direction. I mean, I, 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 you could, I, but not many people did, Matt. That's the yeah, thing. Yeah. Not a lot of people it's, did. Well, I mean, I, I feel like, too, just being on the pulse of, like, society and kind of, like, what's happening in, in pop culture and in the world, I, I feel like I've that's been advantageous to me all throughout my career. I've always tried to do that. And it's it's harder now more than any time in my career because I have so much going on. Like, my life is, like, every single day of my life is accounted for, especially being a father of a gaggle of children. You know, with four kids, there's how much so much stuff going on. But I, I always knew then – you know, when I'm, you know, Matt Hardy, who's just a, a single dude and just stays busy wrestling all the time, it was very easy for me to keep up with pop culture. And I always wanted to kind of like be 
pushing into the new frontier. Okay, this is kind of like where society's going. This is going to become really reverent. Uh, this is going to become really re uh, relevant. I want to utilize it. And that, that's why I want to do that with the internet because I knew ultimately the internet was going to change the way pro wrestling was. And, and in the very beginning, I was one of the guys who would get heat for being too much of an internet guy, like trying to utilize the internet too much, you know, which they, they it probably like, I, I didn't talk to any dirt sheet writers or anything then. And they were probably too worried, like, oh my God, he probably talks to the dirt sheet writers. He's such an internet guy. You know, it was like, I'm a very loyal, faithful employee. And like, you know, if you go hard for me, I promise I'll go hard for you. But I could see like, oh my God, there's going to be like wrestling on the internet. There's going to be, you know, I, I could see that eventually down the road, there could be shows on there. And obviously now there is, and it's just, it's changed the game in so many ways, the way you can, you know, watch, you know, live pay-per-views and events on your, whatever your device is, your mobile phone. I mean, the internet opened up a whole new area of money-making in pro wrestling. And and I, I feel like I was on the pulse of that. And I saw it right from the jump. Did Vince understand that internet concept with all the presentation and Matt facts and all that? You know, I, I, I don't necessarily know if he did uh, understand like the, how it was so internet driven, but I think he did understand and he greatly appreciated that whenever it was time for me to do something and be a piece of shit, I would do it and I would be a good heel, but also very entertaining. And he was like a, a big supporter of the whole since they have Mattitude, Matt Hardy version one character. And, and it was great because I kind of had like an open door to, to speak to him and he was always, you know, up for listening to my ideas and my pitches and whatnot. So he, he saw a performer that was doing a great job of, of getting himself over. I, I know he saw that. And uh, I'm, I'm just very grateful that, you know, he gave me his word that he gave me an opportunity and he did. In December, Shannon Moore gets added into the fold as a Mattitude yeah. follower, colloquially known as an MFR. Um, yeah. How'd that come about? We're going to talk about Shannon in long form later this summer, but that had to be pretty special for you, given your past together in Omega. Definitely. And it was so much fun. And Shannon was so great. He played the role perfectly. And I remember they really weren't doing anything specifically with him. And they just kind of used him like as a guy, you know, that would put other people over whatever. And I said, just put him with me and like, let him be my minion. Like, I, I always feel like I thrive if I have some minions with me as well. You know, it's starting from directions of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I said, and this is really good, especially if you have this, you know, this delusional dickhead, you know, Matt Hardy version one. Uh, who, who believes, you know, the, the world revolves around him, orbits around him. I said, give me this guy and, you know, let me treat him like a piece of trash and we can do some, we can create some entertaining content. And, and they did. And they, they let me go all in on it. Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for goliathlife.com. But to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit goliathlife.com. And I mean, right now, and just personally, I've lost two friends in their forties this past year and a half. And I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through. Had they not had life insurance. If you don't have it, get it, protect your family. And I suggest you go to goliathlife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance. Super easy. Goliath life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes. And you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. 
You pick your price, you start the online application immediately, and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork, and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath Life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle. Hell, not even a phone call. Goliath Life is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at GoliathLife.com. So, man, things are just going awesome for you. And this all happened by circumstance. Jeff was just happening to get the singles push and you turn chicken shin to chicken salad for yourself. And all of a sudden you're thriving on SmackDown as, as a singles act. Things are going well. You've got Vince's respect, evidently. Vince is into what you're doing. And you're working with big guys like Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker. And people are digging what Matt Hardy's doing. But Jeff, things are starting to take a little bit of a turn. September 16th, 2002, he works Triple H in a World Heavyweight Championship match and loses on Raw. I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than that. You're facing one of the guys and for the World Heavyweight Championship. What do you remember about the reception to that? Uh, I I remember it was a pretty big deal, but there there were definitely troubling signs. Like once Jeff and I had been split and he was on a different roster, he was traveling with with a couple guys. And and I just feel like he was starting to develop some bad habits. And it it was pretty – he just – he started being a little undependable. uh, And and they couldn't always rely on him to like – you know, show up on time or, you know, he, he just, he, he was, you know, to put it quite frankly, uh, he was having quite a bunch of erratic behavior. He's had that throughout his career, but this was really the first start of it. And I remember he was getting these opportunities, but once again, I, I could just tell he was, you know, kind of going into, to a darker place. And I, I was worried about him, you know, from, from that capacity. And it was once again, very different because we're on totally different schedules. Now we never see each other, you know, except for like that one day where we might be home and cross paths. Was it a big adjustment for both of you traveling separately after all these years of being together? No, it it wasn't, it wasn't for me. You know, once again, I mean, Jeff being my little brother and I'll say this over and over again, you know, like I I still always, you know, I I still always worry about him, you know, because I I know there's sometimes where he kind of gets in his own head in certain scenarios and, and, you know, especially now more than ever, once I'm, once I became a father and I have kids on my own, you know, I'm, always kind of like the voice of reason when it comes to, to dealing with brother Nero there. Had Jeff prior to this ever ex- exhibited any concern when it comes to substances or alcohol or anything of that nature? Uh, a, a couple times, but not, not on a regular basis at all. I mean, once again, you have to remember when we first came to WWF, like after we signed contracts, we did not drink. Yeah. We, we, we never drank. We'd never smoked. We had never done any kind of drug. I mean, we didn't even curse. I mean, like, really, like we were like good Christian boys, like the young bugs, Christian AF, as they would say. And I think a lot of that came from, you know, our mom died when we were both very young from from cancer. She had a brain tumor and passed away. You know, she she fought that for like a year and it was very hard, very tough. But then she was like this great Christian woman and she she would go to church and she was very much uh, a very, very moral person. Our dad was just a provider. Uh, he never said like, I love you. He wasn't an emotional guy. 
he would just make sure that we had clothes on our back, a shoulder over our head, we'd have enough money to eat or whatever, you know. And we we were a very poor family growing up. But because our mother was like this beloved moral figure, I feel like Jeff and I kind of patterned patterned ourselves after her, you know, all those years, even coming to, to WWE. And then like some of that stuff changed. And then there were times where, you know, guys would obviously be there. And it was the wild, wild west days then, you know, at first they they thought we were freaks. <laughs> because we were like normal human beings, you know, at first there was a lot of people because that's just how the culture was then. It was a, a quite a different time. But there were times throughout that where Jeff would sometime, you know, d demonstrate uh, issues of like, you know, maybe being too, too drunk or, you know, maybe doing too much of, of one thing, but it wasn't like, a, a, it wasn't problematic. It wasn't an issue. You know, Jeff was the first person to kind of experiment with anything, I would say, between both of us. But he was kind of put in a, in a weird situation now where he was with a couple of guys that really were into to, to partying and hanging out and, and getting altered and whatnot. And, and I, I became worried for Jeff during this time. It's that rock and roll lifestyle, right? You're on the road, you're touring, and you get drawn into it. And some people mm -hmm. have that ability to resist it, and other people don't. And I think it's important to remind people when we talk about this, is that Jeff is 24, 25 years old here. He is right. young. He's, he hasn't experienced a lot of life yet. And he's on his own from a pretty young age here. So mm -hmm. where do you remember first hearing some concern about Jeff's behavior and his well-being? Um, I, I, I feel like, you know, maybe even... Michael Hayes had buzzed me on things that there were times where he'd like showed up late or whatever. He just kind of been like, you know, just they, they, they felt like they couldn't fully trust him or depend on him to put him in a spot to thrive, you know? And, and I, I know they knew this guy was over, but he also felt like he was getting burnt out a little bit. And maybe that was even part of his excuse at the time too, that he was kind of burnt out because like wrestling really did consume us at that time. I mean, the schedule was so hectic so busy and he'd been doing this for a long time and obviously everybody knows Jeff's style you know this is probably the first time in his in his life where his body's kind of like you know nagging him and and kind of starting to be beat up a little bit and he's maybe not getting enough time to recuperate or you know let his body completely heal and 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 feel 100 again so I, I could just tell too times i would see him personally there was just times where he just just wasn't 100 healthy not where i would want him to be in life Things are changing quickly for him. So mm -hmm. he has that match with Triple H and his booking changes fast. After this, he's starting to get less singles bookings and he's paired with Bubba Ray a lot at house shows. The singles matches that he is having, well, he's losing most of them to the likes of William Regal, Chris Jericho, Big Show, etc. He'd kind of bounce back and forth between winning some random tag matches. But by the end of the year in 2002, he's losing pretty consistently on Sunday Night Heat against guys like Hurricane and Steven Richards. So that is a huge shift in a four or five month period from where he got this big endorsement from The Undertaker to now this. What kind of concern are you exhibiting at this time and what kind of conversations are you having with him? Uh, I, I don't think he'd kicked in all the way, but I mean, around this time, I realized there was an issue and, and I, I would, every time I would talk to him, I would say like, dude, if you know, there's a problem going on, you got to cut this in the butt. Like you gotta, you gotta get your shit in check. You know, like, don't, 
don't mess up this opportunity. And even more important than that, like, you know, just make sure to stay healthy. I need you here for a long, long time. At WrestleMania 19, I'm skipping forward a few months, and we'll talk about mm-hmm. this very much in depth because I can't wait to talk about this match between you and Rey Mysterio. But but you're in the opening match of WrestleMania, and, and you win. And mm-hmm. Jeff Hardy, meanwhile, on WrestleMania, nowhere to be found. Again, just a few months prior, half a year prior, he nearly beats The Undertaker for the World Championship in a match that is made for him. And now... He can't even find his way onto WrestleMania. He's not even on the pre-show. He's not in a dark match. How insane is this, thinking back to where things were just a few months prior for him? I mean, it, it's very obvious, you know, at this point that the company knows he's he has issues. So they 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 don't trust him, you know. And and that's kind of that that's where we were at that at that point in that stage of the game. How hard was that for you? Very, very hard. I mean, it, you know, because first and foremost, you know, fought pro wrestling, you know, and being successful there. I mean, like I, the most important things is health, you know, like I want him to live a long, prosperous life, you know, because we were brothers and I love him. I always want to be there to protect him, you know, or try and be the voice of reason, you know, just so he doesn't get in his own head because he is a very different, unique cat. So I, I was very concerned about him during that time it is the most concerned I'd ever been about him in his whole life. I mean, there's been a lot of times where I've been concerned about him, you know, in, in different instances, but this was when I, when I was the most concerned and most worried for him. Was Jeff cognizant of what was happening? I, I maybe, but I also don't know because he just doesn't care. He's not a political person and he'll go out there, whether he wins or loses, it doesn't bother him. He'll just go out there and do his thing. I would imagine at this point he he was aware that they have realized he's, you know, kind of viewed as not being someone who's dependable. Um, they don't necessarily trust him at this point. So I, I, I would I would imagine he, he did realize that because it had been going on for quite a few weeks now. Was that heartbreaking for a guy like, say, Michael Hayes, who has stuck his neck out there for both of you guys and probably has endorsed Jeff as somebody who could be one of the next guys for this company and not just Michael, but to other people who have done that. Uh, does that affect the the sentiment of guys like that? Mm, I'm sure. I'm sure it was hard on Michael. You know, I mean, nobody wants to see that. And like, you know, Jeff is the, the sweetest, best human being. He's, he has the best heart and soul of anybody you will ever, ever meet, you know, but uh, when, when someone, kind of gets in that in that groove and they're going down a bad path it's it's hard to, to turn them around they, they have to decide to do it themselves so it, it, it's it's hard when you see someone that is a quality person you know just going down down the wrong path so I'm, I'm sure it was very hard on all those guys because every everybody loves Jeff everybody who knows Jeff to know Jeff Hardy is to love Jeff Hardy but like uh when you know he's going down a bad path like the one the one he was then in that 2003 it was uh it was it was frightening for me i was very concerned and worried about his health and well-being and i want to talk about this from a very human perspective here you've never gone through anything like this at this point in your life you've never seen something like this happen so as a brother you're concerned but you also don't know how to deal with someone who is having an addiction issue you you, you don't really know until you're thrust in that position how much of a right. challenge was that for you in trying to navigate that and 
what do I step in here? Do I not? Do I say something? Do I not? How much of a challenge? Yeah. I mean, it was extremely challenging. And, and once again, like you, you, if you want someone to change, it's out of your hands. You can't make them change until that person decides to change themselves. You know, so it, it was, it was very hard because they're just, there were times during that where it's like, Oh my God, like, I don't want to wake up in a nightmare and just hear that my brother is OD'd or, you know, whatever has happened. You know, it was, a, it was a really dark time, and I was just concerned about him constantly, nonstop. From the Observer, Jeff Hardy, 25, was officially fired on April 21st, which is no surprise. He was taken off the house shows last weekend and suspended. He had been... He had been very negative as to the political nature of the company and his media appearances promoting his book. As reported before, he had asked twice to be released to concentrate on his music. He had looked terrible in the ring of late, had been suspended in the past, and also a compromise had been reached where he was working a far more limited schedule in an effort to work with him, but it wasn't working. So what part of that is mad fact? Is any of that mad fiction? Uh, that, that's all true. Uh, I, I do know they started giving him house shows off because, I mean, his, his big thing, he was saying, like, oh, I'm burnout, I'm burnout, I'm burnout. But also, too, he had developed bad habits, terrible habits. Um, and, and they did. They tried to give him more time off. And I feel like that's right when he started, like, trying to play the guitar and doing music. And I feel like he had this this big ambition to try and be a rock star at this time. And, like, maybe it's time to move on from wrestling, whatever. But, I mean, he he, he, he was in a, in, in a dark space for sure. And – Going back to the book, you just mentioned the book there, right? That I have very vivid memories of that. We had a ghostwriter, obviously, do our book that worked with us. Like, I recalled probably, you know, you would think this book's about Matt and Jeff Hardy. They probably do 50%, 50%. I did like 90% of the book, and Jeff probably did 10 Like, Jeff didn't even want to work with this guy. He didn't want to spend time. And I told probably the majority of Jeff's stories and kind of, like, re recalled his career and whatnot. Because at this point, he was just – you know, a lot of times when people get in a dark space like Jeff was then, they just stay isolated. So a lot of times Jeff was just like to himself, you know, just him and his wife, whatever it may be. And it just it was just in, in just such a, a scary space, especially knowing people that have had major drug issues and it ends with them dead. You know, so so obviously I was concerned about that more than anything else. And even when he got released from WWE and, and he. he they really didn't have a choice. I mean, they, they had to, you know, er, everything that happened there. And and I feel like it happened right after he had a match with The Rock at the very end, if I'm not mistaken. And there there may even been a circumstance where I feel like he was in he wrecked there he was in some sort of a collision or wreck and he missed a flight and then he got there later and then he was drug tested and he wrestled The Rock and I just remember being so worried about him because he'd had such a, a, a terrible day. Um and then once he he was released, I understood why WWE did it. It's probably the only decision they could make, the only way they could they could handle this. I just my my goal at this time was to do whatever was needed. And I remember offering I was gonna I would have paid out of my pocket if Jeff would go to rehab, but he he didn't. He obviously didn't want to at that time. And Jeff is just one of those people that like, you know, if he's gonna change, he he won't change until he decides himself. And it's so crazy because he he has like once he got past this period of like doing uh you know like recreational drugs he he would never touch them again until like he was hurt and he took pills and then that became an issue and then once he got past that he would never take touch a pill then and then it was alcohol you know and that's what we worked so hard to get past you know last and when i say that, that jeff is the most responsible i've seen him in 20 years i'm i'm dead serious as well 
So there's no anger on your end when WWE releases him at all. You understand the circumstances. I'm, you, you can't. I mean, once again, it's he. You know, he he made that bed and he had to lie in it. You know, which was What's just he, it was just it, very unfortunate. And and once again, it was very scary to think that like this was an event. Now that he's being released from this thing, it was our childhood dream doing it together. Like, is it going to push him in even uh, a, a worse direction? Or alternatively, might it be a wake-up call? And and you don't know right. how that's right. going to go. You um, never know in this situation. Was that true that Jeff had asked for his release a couple times to pursue music? I, I think that I think that is true, too. I, I think where he had said he was just burnt out with everything. And once again, once he started being unreliable and they weren't really utilizing him and he was doing these heat matches and putting people over whatever. I mean, I, I feel like that is true. They said, Oh, I think I just need to, can you let me go? And can I take some time off? I need to like get my shit together. I want to do music or whatever it was. But once again, he was just like in a dark space at that time too, yeah. which when you get in those dark spaces, you, you're not thinking, you're not thinking in, in the correct fashion. Usually. I want to read a quick passage here from Bruce Pritchard. He said this on something else to wrestle on the WWE network in 2018, talking about Jeff. He said, Jeff did have a drug problem. Everything that you just said was taking place. All of a sudden we had a different human being on our hands and it wasn't someone that anyone really liked to work with anymore. If he did show up, he would go on high and you couldn't find him all day long or he'd show up and then leave again. It was difficult times with being with Jeff Hardy. Jeff had a drug issue. Jeff admitted having a drug issue, but Jeff didn't want to go to rehab. The condition was, Jeff, you have to go to rehab or we got to let you go. We got to release you. And they released him because he refused to go to rehab. In my opinion, Jeff had a drug problem. Jeff had a lot of issues going on and wasn't handling them well. So uh, people are cognizant of it all the way up the chain at that point, Matt. And what I hated hearing reading that passage was, You had just said everyone loves Jeff Hardy, right? Everyone loves working with Jeff Hardy. But at that point, people weren't loving working with Jeff Hardy because it could become a liability at that point. Um, There's this crazy juxtaposition here where you are having all of this single success and you are doing really well with your career. You're in a really good place. And Jeff has kind of hit ground zero. Did you ever try to take a step back in that moment and reevaluate what your respective paths would be going forward. I, I mean, I, I was just concerned about his health and well-being at that point. When 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 I thought about Jeff, I wasn't worried about the wrestling at all. Uh, that 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 wasn't a priority in my mind in in any capacity. I just I wanted him to be healthy and I wanted him to be in a in a safe and better place in life. And that that's what I, I remember offering to pay. I, I will pay. Yeah. Just go to rehab and just I just I just wanted. You know, you know, get you some time so you can like think in a in a sober capacity and like kind of reevaluate what you're doing and which direction you're going in. And and I want you to be okay because the the you know the the last thing I would I would want to hear is that my t- t- mid twenty you know my mid twenty something brother ends up passing away, yeah. you know, because of whatever you know. And and that 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 would that would be a nightmare to me. Like you know, I want you to have a long and prosperous life. And we both always talked about having family and having kids in the future. And like, I wanted all that stuff for, for, for my brother. And I was just, just very concerned about him because it, it, he, he had really went down a very, very dark path, the darkest path he'd ever been down in his life. And Jeff is like your biggest support system here in WWE. He's your brother. He's your tag team partner. And now you're having all this single success and he's not there to be there. I mean, he's obviously there as a presence, but he's not there physically in the company 
helping drive you in that sense. Uh, how so? How did you find ways to drive yourself and keep yourself motivated as all this stuff was going on? You're a very positive thinker. You're a very positive guy. So how did you reach down and dig into that to drive yourself forward? Uh, I mean, it 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 would be very troubling, I, and I would be thinking about him quite a bit just in in general in life. But I mean, just just me, just Matt Hardy is this guy who's like super passionate about whatever he's doing, especially if it's something he he loves. And obviously I love pro wrestling. So whenever I, whenever I step in to do something, I try and give it everything I have, you know, and that's what I would do with pro wrestling. And, and I, I feel like this is probably when I'm starting to develop a good separation between life and, and pro wrestling for the, for the first time ever, you know, and I realized like when, the camera's on and you go through that curtain, you do your stuff and you do it to the max. And then when you come back, then you can, you know, worry about whatever is plague is, is plaguing you in real life, whatever your issues are. And, uh, and I feel like I'd got a very good point during this time of my career of like, you know, cutting everything off whenever I go to the ring and just be on. And that's one of the things I say all the time too, as far as like, if I'm committed to doing something and, and I'm on, I'm on all the way. When I do autograph sessions that are like three, four five hours, those things are tough because I try and be on and I want everyone to come through and have a friendly experience. And even if I'm exhausted and have slept two or three hours, you know, when people say, Oh my God, you look tired. I said, no, but I'm very happy to see you. And I'm happy to be here and doing this, doing that, you know, I I'm on and it's nice. Now I, I love when I can step away from doing whatever and, and be off. And, and I I've learned to like covet that feeling as well. And I feel like around that time is where I really mastered that concept of like, when you go through the curtain, even if these other things are bothering you, just let all that go, leave it back here, leave your baggage on this side of the curtain, and then walk through the curtain and, and turn it on and, and be the character, be the performer, do your thing. You know, if you go to the gym and train, you know, turn it on there and work hard, get that in as hard as you can for that hour. Just a, a, a very healthy separation of like personal life and, and business life. Well, and this is ultimately a story that ends up working out. Jeff gets his stuff together. He would make a return. He would have a setback, but then he would make another return. And life is about handling those roller coasters and clearing those hurdles. And that kind of defines the Hardy boys. And it's, it's why the show is called the extreme life of Matt Hardy. Because uh, <laughs> man, it has been extreme, but I really appreciate your vulnerability talking about that. And I know the listeners too, as well, um, because it's such a, bittersweet time for you you're achieving all this success while your brother's really struggling but but ultimately it all comes together and if you got a couple minutes here i'd love to get to some listener questions here as we yeah ask matt and let's get to let's it. Do it so joseph asked when jeff was released did you feel any form of guilt with you being his big brother like was there something that you could have done to help prevent it? I feel like when we experience trauma in our lives, we always put ourselves in there in those shoes. What could more could I have done to help prevent something like that? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I didn't feel guilt because I did. I did. I, I feel like I tried everything that I possibly could, you know, and I, I offered to help him in several different ways. And, you know, literally one thing that you learn, especially after being in pro wrestling and seeing, so many addiction issues over the years, you realize that, you know, you, all you can really do is support these people and try and give them good advice, try and give them good support. But ultimately, if someone is going to to change, they have to make their, the decision in their own mind. They have to make the decision to change. They have to change the behavior to actually change where they're going in life. And uh, I, I feel like I did everything that I could. So I, I didn't feel guilty. I, I did feel bad. And I just felt worried and concerned 
about him as a human being and obviously my sibling and my brother and someone that I love, you know, with, with every iota of my body, you know, so I, I, I just want him to be okay. And I, I want him to be okay as a person and, and get his shit together. Matt MS, you, you've talked at length on the podcast about how you always handled the business end of things for both you and Jeff. So how did that dynamic change during the periods where you did not work in the same company? <laughs> uh, it's so funny whenever he was away and TNA started contacting him, Jeff Jarrett was contacting me <laughs> still, even when I worked with WWE and I was trying to like help arrange stuff when he did some of his first TNA stuff, that early TNA stuff that he did. Uh, I, I was one of the ones who helped set some of that up and convinced Jeff to go do it because I thought it would be a positive experience if he started wrestling again and maybe it wouldn't be quite as, uh, as taxing of a schedule and, and maybe it would help, you know, restore his passion for pro wrestling and, and help him get back on a better path. So yeah, I, I still kind of half as his business even when he worked for another company. I love that. Uh, Maddie says loyal MFR here. Are there any superstars that almost ended up as a Mattitude follower and also an AEW who would be your top three MFRs if we ever got a V2.0? <laughs> what a great question. Uh, well, no, I mean, obviously the crash, the crash thing was added. And once again, that was like Shannon's idea. And I kind of pushed for that and, and they did it. But it, in theory, he was kind of like an MFR as well. And he was uh, a perfect fit for that gig too, because he was such an entertaining little son of a bitch, man. He was so, so entertaining. So funny. Uh, AW, if I had to have three MFRs, let me think, who would be my, who would be my MFRs? I would select here. Um, I'd want a guy that, that is a uh, funny Isaiah Casty. I would put him in there. Yes. He's got a hell of a person. He's good. Uh, Sammy Guevara. I would put him, <laughs> I'd like to sign him up as an MFR. He'd be a good little MFR. Um, and who, who could I make as the next MFR? Um, hmm. maybe Jora, Jora Joel. He would be a good MFR. That's that's so that, that, that 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 would be my MFRs, my Mattitude followers. I feel like Danhausen reluctantly becoming an MFR would be a very very interesting story to see unfold. So, uh, I I you you know there was one point when I was doing Matt Hardy version one, I had an MF or where I talked about having a, a personal gesture, a jester. Oh, okay. yeah. I had this idea one time, which it, it never materialized, never came to be, but Dan Housen could be that he could be my personal jester. And let's be real. The ultimate MFers are the young bucks. So they, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. They, they are the ones that, that uh, the gimmick brother. Absolutely. hundred percent. Um, and then let's let's get one more here. Bryant says, I was a huge fan of version one Matt Hardy. When it came to the Matt Facts, were all of those your ideas or did someone come up with some of them for you? And were there any plans that you wanted to do with the character that you weren't able to do? Um, I, I did most of the stuff that that I, that I really wanted to do, I feel like. Um, there, there was a couple of ideas. There were some other ideas that we, we never utilized them. Um, but but I did for for what it's worth. I pretty much did everything I kind of asked to do. So I was very happy with how how that how the character went down. Um, as far as um, coming up with the map facts, you came up with all those. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, coming up with the map facts. Yes, those those were mine. Uh, the only time they weren't mine, there was a small period when our book first came out, exists to uh, exist to inspire. Kevin Dunn put up some of the Matt facts, and I think I've shared this story before. Uh, Kevin Dunn created some of the Matt facts. And I remember he put up one time, like in the Matt fact, bo Matt fact box, I said, have you read Matt's book? And it was, I was so furious and I didn't know that was going to happen. I was like, dude, like 
I'm really passionate about these things. Like you broke the formula. Every one of these stores with like Matt, it has to have Matt, you know, Matt does this, Matt does that, Matt. That's one of their Matt facts. You can't have a Matt fact that doesn't have the word Matt in it. Like this delusional cocksucker would never let that happen. <laughs> you kidding me, man? <laughs> it's going to have Matt oh, in the Matt fact box. If that wasn't me? so vulgar, that would be a great t-shirt too. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh man. Yeah. That is great. I was like, you know, this guy's a piece of shit, man. Have you read Matt's book? And, and it and it really I was so passionate about the the ego, the, you know, the the ego, you know, and the delusion of of uh Matt Hardy version one that I, I got so personally upset about that. <laughs> and uh it's so funny because like uh, later I was like, oh, it really wasn't a big deal, but I was very passionate about those things and I took a lot of pride in them. And uh and you know, they oh I'm so sorry, I you know, I, I did that, whatever, and, and you know, we smoothed things over. But there were there was a period where there was like uh, maybe one or two weeks where they threw stuff in about the book that weren't mine. But with the exception of those, all of them were mine. You got to promote the gimmicks, you know. You got to get that stuff out there. That's the way you look at it, man. <laughs> hey, this was a really eye-opening episode, Matt. And and I mean it when I say that I very much, alongside all the listeners here, appreciate your vulnerability in talking about a tough topic. And you said that on episode one, that you would not shy away from talking about tough things. So uh, thank you for yeah. your honesty. There. Yeah, I mean, I, and I, I feel like that's kind of like kind of a staple of myself and Jeff's characters. You know, we're we're really, you know, he said that the other day. He said, I hate that expression, like, you know, I'm an open book. He said, but, you know, I think we we kind of fit that, though, right? We're kind of like open books. Like, we understand we've had, like, these great moments and, you know, we've had these failures, but, like, we're very open to talk about them. And and I feel like Jeff is very open to talk about that stuff, too, because he he knows that there's other people that are going through struggles like that. And, and if they can hear that, they know that they can change, too, that they can come out on the other side in, in a better place. And, and I, I think that's important to him to like inspire people or, or motivate people, you know, in, in those capacities. And, and I'm also like that, you know, I'm, I'm very open about, about my life. And, and if people can take something from it, that that's great. You know, if, if they don't, uh, and it's just, uh, you know, a story that they're ends listening on Reddit. to. <laughs> yeah. What's that? Story that ends up on Reddit. Or yeah. Or if it's just a story that ends up on Reddit, it can do that too, but it's, it's all good, man. I'm, I'm, I'm very blessed to be where I'm at in life. So I'm, I'm okay discussing, discussing everything. Well, that was great stuff, man. And we we're, we're kind of debating what we're going to talk about next week. I've got a tentative plan, but we might pull an audible. So stay tuned right. on what's in store next for the extreme life of Matt Hardy. But I can uh, tell you this, that's it. Here we go. How, how many stars are they leaving Matt? Because you and I are going to get together next week and we're going to pick a winner. Five stars, five stars. Five stars, five stars, five stars. You leave us a review and you send us that screenshot at Matt Hardy Pod. If you're not following us on Twitter or on Instagram, what the hell are you doing first off? All right, get, get with I mean, seriously. Um, get on that and Matt and I are going to pick a winner and we're going to get something together there. So please do that if you have not done so already. And yeah, good episode here, Matt. Anything else you'd like to add? No, uh, thank you guys for checking out the extreme life of yours truly each and every week joining myself and my partner john alba the words have been spoken we'll see you next week here on the extreme life of matt hardy adios amigos <laughs>